Welcome to our Wednesday night. Amen. Wednesday night Bible study is the place to be. Wednesday night Bible study, it's better when we're all in the Lord's house together. But how much of a blessing is it to still be able to do Bible study on Facebook? Amen. So here we are. Um, Wednesday night, everybody, I hope, had a good day of work, had a good day uh, taking care of family or taking care of errands, whatever you may have been doing. It's always refreshing to put in a good day's work and then get into God's Word. And so, that's what we're going to be doing tonight, our Wednesday night Bible study. Hey, we are here live at Gospel Lighthouse Church. We are South Bossier City, uh, the full gospel stop right here in South Bossier City. We uh, hope that you can come join us actually this weekend. This coming Sunday at 1045 in the morning, we are going to gather together in this very sanctuary. We're going to lift up holy hands and we're going to worship Jesus and we're going to have a good time. We're going to have good old fashioned church this weekend. This will be the first Sunday of June. So we're going to start out uh, the, the sixth month of the year Right. I don't know about you, but 2020 has been kind of chaotic. Um, you know, and one of the things that I was thinking of uh, earlier this this past week was, um, you know, the Lord spoke to me around in December, January time. You know, the the verse in, in uh, the book of Isaiah says, uh, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And I think it's, it's kind of neat because the world is getting faster and more chaotic. But sometimes the best thing that we can do is just take a step back from all of the stuff. Take a step back because uh, the more that you get involved in it, the more it, it tears at you emotionally. And the best thing we can do is just step back and let God be God. Uh, be still and know that he's God. Know that God's in control. Know that, you know, God is watching this earth. It's not doing things that he's not got an eye on. And at the right time, he's going to set things right. And so we can just place confidence in that and rest in knowing, hey, God's still on the throne. He hasn't vacated the throne. And you know what? God doesn't grow gray hairs. He's not getting weaker. He's not getting osteoporosis. He is as strong as he ever has been. And so we can take joy and solace in that. Amen. All right. So we are uh, Wednesday Night Bible Study. What we're actually going to be doing is we're going to be kind of uh, piggybacking off of where we ended up on our Sunday morning message. So Sunday morning we had church. Sunday night we had our part two. And we're actually going to be continuing in that. And, and bringing this vein a little bit deeper. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Titus chapter 2. That's one of the foundational places we were at this past Sunday. And we're not going to really be doing any uh, catch-up. We're just going to move forward. Uh, so if you missed any of that, be sure and, and uh, take a gander back there at those messages. Amen. So we are thankful that you're with us tonight. Uh, like I said, my name is Pastor Kenny. We are at Gospel Lighthouse Church, South Bossier City's Full Gospel Church, and we want to invite you to be with us this coming Sunday at 1045. And we are, uh, as church leadership, we're praying about adding more services this coming week. So hopefully 
this will be the last Wednesday uh, or the second to last one that we're here, but we're making those decisions. We're in process of praying those things through. So we encourage you to pray with us, and uh, we're looking forward to what God has in store for this next part of the year. Amen. So Titus chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse number 11. So if you have your King James Bible, you can go ahead and open there. If you don't have a King James Bible, you can, uh, you know, limp through it. So uh, I'm teasing on that one. All right, so Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to get into this study. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in God's Word together. Lord, we pray for your anointing to hear and understand what you have for us. We pray, Father, I pray, God, for the anointing to preach and teach as you desire. And we ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody says amen and amen. All right, guys, so Titus chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 11 in the beginning, but we're going to move down into verse number 15 as we go. So the beginning of this verse sets up the whole rest of it. Verse 11 is going to be a little bit different tempo than verse 12. Verse 11 is talking in a grand scale. Let's, let's check this out. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking, here you go, listen, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, of good works. So let's stop right there for a second and let's kind of peel back into this. Notice what I was talking about in verse 11. It's got a little bit different tempo um, and I want to look at that just briefly. The grace of God that brings salvation. Now notice it's available or it has appeared to all men. That means the grace that is needed to be saved. In other words, no person on God's green earth that's ever been created can be saved apart from a work of God's grace. And we all say hallelujah because we all need God's grace. All of us have stumbled. All of us have fallen. All of us are sinners. All of us have a past. And it's only by God's grace that we are saved. However, what you don't want to do is cut that grace off from someone else for any reason. You don't want to say, well, they could never be saved because they're not one of the frozen chosen. They're not one of the elect pre-foreordained. They're not one of the, the, you don't want to get into that because the Bible says grace that brings salvation has appeared to all. And that word all does mean all. And how do we know that this is true? Well, not only because the Bible says it, but Jesus verifies it or authorizes it. In John chapter 12, I believe it's verse 42, he said when he is lifted up, that he would draw all men unto himself. The drawing that Jesus is talking about was when he was on the cross. So through Calvary, this is why it's so important, you know, we preach the cross at our church. We, you know, Gospel Lighthouse, we preach the gospel. Every message, you need a, a, a dose of the gospel in every message. It has to be the cornerstone of everything that we do as God's people. But notice that it's available to all. So the preaching of the cross is how God works in, in getting in, 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 into people into a convicted place. Notice that. 
It is the message of the cross. Now, you might say, well, we should just tell them, you know, that they're sorry, low down, no nothings. No, no. It's the message of the cross that God uses to bring salvation. Not only salvation, but also wisdom and all kinds of other things that we're going to get into in the future. But for this application, the grace that's needed for any person to be saved appears to them at Calvary. This is why churches must get back to preaching Calvary. They must get back to preaching Jesus Christ lifted up on that cross, dying for our sins, dead for three days, and rising up out of that borrowed tomb, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. Amen. So we shout hallelujah on that. But I just I want you to see that the tempo of verse 11 is going to be a little bit different than verse 12. This is one of the most amazing uh, passages in the Bible here in, in Titus. And, and the reason that, that the Holy Spirit writes this here, I believe, is just so that we don't get into a habit of cutting people off of God's grace. We have no right of denying people the grace that God has given them through Jesus. It doesn't matter if they are a bank robber or if they are a prostitute or if they are just liars, or maybe they're members of a political party you don't like, or maybe they're uh, from a different country you don't like, or maybe they uh, stole your lawnmower back 12 years ago and you just ain't never going to get over it, that kind of stuff. Look, God's grace is available for every person, and we, as God's people, should desire that these people find reconciliation in Jesus Christ. And when you find yourself hoping that these people go and burn in hell, you're, st you're kind of standing on the wrong side of Calvary because Christ died for sinners. And if these people are truly sinners, they need this grace at work in their life. This is why it's incumbent upon us, me and you, and every church around us to getting back to these principles of preaching the gospel, the clear, concise gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what's sad? is most people, if you ask them to share a clear, concise gospel presentation, just say, hey, you got four minutes. Give us a clear, concise gospel presentation. Most people couldn't do it. They would stammer, and they would stumble, and they would refer you to a deacon or two. Um, but there are those that are on fire for God and in their word, and they could, they could do it. But we need to... Um, I heard a minister say, you know, that we're not gospel, we are a gospel ignorant nation. And, and that's largely true. Most people don't really know the gospel. I've, I've seen people grow up in church, grow up in church, and never have heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Um, but that's when you're, you see God moving in nations is when you see people hearing the gospel for the first time. Uh, every revival that you see down through the ages, you see people getting saved that were ministers or ministers' wives or, you know, maybe they were deacons or elders or whatever the case may be. They had been in the church their whole life, and they realized, wait, this is a gospel I have not received, and they get saved. And every, every revival, it's a reawakening unto God's glorious gospel. How sinful we are, how awesome and holy he is, and Christ being the mediator between. And so, um, as we get into verse 12, I just wanted to look at, see how that tempo just changes. 
From verse 11, where the grace has appeared to all men. Now, you know, theologically and doctrinally, you also have those uh, segments of Christendom that will teach, you know, the, the, the chosen and things like that. You don't want to get into that. Clearly, you see that God is giving grace to everybody through Jesus. Okay, God, look, you can go back. If you ever have any question, if you ever have any doubt about anything, go back to John 3, 16. It's, it's popular for a reason. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, it's not because God so loved his chosen or because God so loved Americans or because God so loved a certain color of skin or because God so loved Republicans or Democrats or God so loved, you know, this denomination. No, God so loved the world, all the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Hallelujah. So look, we're moving from verse 12 where it's all-encompassing to verse, uh, from verse 11 where it's all-encompassing down into verse 12 to those that have received it. Because this grace that appears to everybody teaches us when you have received and understand God's grace, it teaches you. God's grace is an instructor. You see, you can't be who you used to be if you know God the way God has revealed himself to be. You can't continue misusing and misappropriating God's grace once you truly understand it. God's grace teaches you something. Now, what does it teach us? Verse 12, it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That means God has a job for you. If you are a partaker of Jesus Christ, if you are a beneficiary of the grace that God's given, then he has a job for you. There's a reason why he didn't take you home to glory the minute you got saved. The reason being is because he wants you to be his witness in the present world. He wants you to turn around and live unto him, to be a godly witness in an ungodly world. So that's why it's so important that we live our faith out, that we don't just have it as a figment of our imagination, or we don't just have it in our back pocket that, yeah, I joined that church 15 years ago, and that's where my name's on the roster, and they got a seat reserved for me, but I just come, you know, every couple years. I'll come once in a while when I want to, but that's my church. Now, that's not the way God designed it to be. That's not God's intention for our lives. It's that we live transformed from the inside out, reflecting the work that God has done on the inside toward the outside. You see, religion makes it from the outside in. Religion makes you get into a cookie cutter like everybody else. But God's grace teaches you from the inside to reflect what God's doing in, onto the outside. This is the transformative gospel. You, you cannot chain somebody up and whip godliness into them godliness is only produced by a manifestation of the transforming power and work of jesus christ in the soul and only god can do it 
Nothing else can transform a sinner to a saint. You cannot beat somebody from a sinner to a saint. You, you might can train somebody, but God, listen, I, I love Charles Spurgeon. He said one time, God didn't come to give us better manners. He came to save souls. And, and you know, sometimes we relegate God's work to manners. Oh, well, you know, they got long hair. They must not know God. Or oh, their shoes don't fit right. Their shoes got holes in them. Don't they know better? And we, we, we put these outward restrictions on people when we need to be looking at how God's working from the inside out and maybe they're in the process of being transformed and we don't want to step on them and stomp on them but if they are resisting that grace they need encouragement and instruction and that's why it takes us as uh, encouragers to be able to discern by the spirit of God so look Look at, at verse 11, that grace is for everybody. In verse 12, if you've received it, there's a cost for it. Do you see that? It's available, it's free for everybody. This is such a gospel foundational message. And I'm going to get where we want to go tonight, but I, I just got to get into this. Verse 11, it's free for all, it's appearing to all, it's there for all, it's free. The gospel is free. And then when you receive it, there's a cost. It begins to teach you. The grace of God will begin to work on you. You'll begin to be confronted with maybe there's places of unforgiveness. Maybe there's places of hidden sin. Maybe there's things in our life, idols that we've set up. Maybe we have, you know, we, we just refuse to pray or we just refuse to get in the word of God. And God will get in there and that grace will begin to work on us and draw those things to the surface and draw them out because God is all the time working in us transformatively to produce godliness in the present world and what you'll see in a passage later that it brings you from a place out of darkness and into light that the world the dark world around us can see the marvelous light of Jesus Christ in you and in me and that's what we should hope for every person so here we go. This, this teaching grace, this grace is a good teacher, by the way. This teaching grace is, is there that we, it'll produce soberness and righteousness and godliness in the present world. Notice, before we get off this, that it, it's not that God's going to make a godly world now, but God's going to make you godly in the present world do you see the distinction you see a lot of times we think well if if we could just get our favorite politician in office and if our favorite political party could just get a few more seats in the senate or you know if they would just if i could just have another you know ten thousand dollars in the bank and if i could just get that bigger house then i would you know everything would be great and i wouldn't be bothering anybody and all this look god didn't call us to do anything other than to be sober, righteous, and godly in the present world. And this present world is going to spiral out of control up to the day that Jesus returns. This present world, if you think it's going to get better, you need to go read the book of Revelation. You need to go read that again because the book of Revelation teaches us Things don't get better, they get worse from here on out. And every prophet from every generation has been able to say the exact same thing. 
And there's coming a day that Christ truly is going to return. And the day he does will, up to that day, will be worse than it is today. There will be more war. There will be more pestilence. There will be more earthquakes. There will be more division. There will be more false teachers. There will be more ungodliness. The, Jesus said, you know, it'll be like in the days of, of, of Noah, where, you know, it'll be just ungodliness all around. And you see tremors of that even now we're on the brink we're in a a, a a war for the fabric of our society the fabric of our society is breaking down right now into ungodliness and so uh you you have to remember that as this battle rages on that for our primary allegiance is to be godly in the world okay our primary allegiance is not to become like the world don't drink a hate don't drink hate don't don't get into the gutter if you're not supposed to be there you're supposed to be salt and light in the world as it is right now and then look at verse 13 here's the other part see there's not a period after that the, it's, it's not that God just leaves you out to, to hang dry it's that we are living soberly righteously and godly in the present world looking up you see verse 13 looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, just if you want to get a, a small crash course on the deity of Jesus, does anybody truly think that on that last day, God the Father will come down? No, it's, it's God the Son. And so you see here clearly, just by the context, that this is a clear representation of the deity of Jesus Christ. So don't let anybody infringe on that deity. Jesus has been God from eternity past, and he never stopped being God, not even while he was here on earth for 33 years, and he will always remain God. Um, so look, it says that that's what we're looking at. We, we talked on this past uh, Sunday about pressing toward the mark of the high prize of the calling of Christ Jesus. This is that exact same thing. This is looking unto Jesus. So we're not here to establish a political party. We're not here to, to, to build our kingdom. We're here that Christ's kingdom would advance in us and through us. We're here for the kingdom of God, not our uh, political kingdom or our national kingdom or our kingdom of our family. We're not here for any other kingdom but the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's not going to be established until he returns. So from this day till that day, we're supposed to be godly representations of who he is. We are the body of Jesus Christ. We are the salt of the earth as it is now. We are the restraining force against the spirit of the Antichrist. He cannot come into power until the church is taken out of the way. And on that day, this world is going to rue the day that it rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, 
they're going to reject me, and they should reject you. But the person they should rue the day they rejected is Jesus Christ. Look, don't get offended when people deny you. Don't get offended when people despise you. Don't get offended when people mock you. They mocked Jesus. They hated Jesus, and we are his body. Therefore, it's a strange thing when the world likes a minister. It's a strange thing when we can fit in with the people of the world. It is a strange thing when the world lavishes praise on, on, on us because this same world rejected Christ. So um, our job is to hold to the mark. Your mark is what your aim is. Don't let your aim be preempted by some worldly lower level thing. Your, your, your mark is not a better job, a better car, or a, 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 a spouse. Your mark is Jesus Christ. If those things get added to you along the way, great, well done, let's clap for you, let's celebrate, but our mark must be Christ and His return. The soul of the believer cries out, Come, Lord Jesus. And if your soul doesn't cry out, Come, Lord Jesus, if you truly can't look up to heaven and say, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come. If you can't do that in your soul, let that be a check. Let that be a place of conviction where, you know, maybe we need to get some things right and reprioritize what we long for. So this... And, and, and I want to just point out, the Holy Spirit is not flippant here. When he says, looking for the blessed hope, when he says, looking for the blessed hope, he's not just saying, you know, cock your head up. He's saying, live a life that is aimed at that magnificent event that is coming. Every fiber of our life, every bit of our DNA should be pointed towards, hey, Jesus coming back. He could be coming back today and, and, and living out of that. Now, let's get into verse number 14. I want to get into this part. Verse number 14, it says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So, there's a lot of gospel, like I said, in this passage that Jesus gave himself for us. Now, just, just to get on side uh, biblical doctrine, okay? It says Jesus here, doesn't it say who gave himself for us? And who does John 3.16 say? It says God what? God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. But you also have that Jesus gave himself. So you have uh, another passage here that gives greater context and weight and clarity to the, the power of the Godhead or the Trinity, the, tri the triune nature of God. You see, we don't serve three gods. We serve one God. He is one, but he is three, 1 John 5, 7. But you see here that it's Jesus who gave himself for us that he might might redeem us what's the might on there my dad used to say famously i'm sure other people's dads did too if you had chickens but he would say mites are on chickens you either are gonna do it or you're not 
Well, the might right here is referring back to verse 11 and to verse 12. There's some that hear the gospel, but then there's the others that allow that grace to teach them and to save them. So it says that Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Now, iniquity here is speaking of a, a, a sin, a wicked thing that keeps you back from God or robs you, devoids you of a clear conscience before God. It, it is one of those things that impairs you in your ability to approach God. Iniquity. So Christ redeems us from everything that could possibly hinder us. That's why our righteousness is Christ and Christ alone because our redemption is Christ and Christ alone. Now, look at this next part. It says, Purify unto himself a peculiar people. This is what I want to really touch on tonight is a peculiar people. Now, the word peculiar here in this passage it means a unique group that belongs to a person or a thing. A, a something peculiar, a, a way that we would say it in the church uh, way, you know, it would be a distinctive. This, this is what sets the other apart. So something that is peculiar is something that only exists unto this one thing. A, a, peculiar, um, a peculiar trait that somebody may have means that other people don't have it. It's something distinctive to them. And churches are supposed to have distinctives. Uh, like one church may believe, um, you know, in, the, in, in, in one thing and another church may believe in another. It's these distinctive things that kind of help us understand uh, those, those groups. Well, here in this passage, it says that Jesus, these people that get saved, it says that he purifies you unto himself a peculiar people. I want to talk about this for a minute. A peculiar people means that you and your primary existence or your primary identification, it means that your primary allegiance is to Jesus. What makes you peculiar or distinctive unto the world is not the language that you speak. It's not the color of your skin. It's not your nationality. It's not your age. It's not if you're a Jew or a Greek or a barbarian or a Scythian or a male or a female, rich or poor, bond, servant, it doesn't matter what this is telling you is your primary peculiarity is that you belong to him. What makes us unique is that we belong to him regardless of how the world defines us. And what we see running rampant in the body of Christ today is that we would rather let the world redefine us then be a peculiar group, an eclectic group from different backgrounds, different generations, different nationalities, different tribes, different tongues, 
all united as one unto God. And for that to happen, we must see ourselves as primarily, first and foremost, Christians, not black Christians, white Christians, yellow Christians, American Christians, African Christians, male Christians, female Christians, Greek Christians, Jewish Christians, Antarctic Christians. It doesn't matter. We should first and foremost see ourselves as in Christ. And once we begin to do that, then we will begin to guard against any and every redefining of who we are to that point. We will never allow unbiblical division to divide the body of Christ. Look, if we're going to divide from... Tom, Dick, and Harry because we don't like the way that they sing the old hymns and we like the new ones, that's okay. But don't let it define you. Don't say, well, I'm a new hymn Christian and I'm an old hymn Christian and I'm a Jewish Christian and I'm an American Christian and I'm a purple Christian and I'm a yellow Christian. No, we are Christ's first. What makes us peculiar is not a worldly tag. What makes us peculiar is not a carnal tag. What makes us peculiar is not something seen by the natural eye. If you can see it with the natural eye, it's not a spiritual distinctive. It is a natural distinctive. But we are first and foremost the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church of Christ. And we are all one in Christ. And so we have an obligation and a duty to make sure that we don't allow people, especially the world, to divide the church of Jesus Christ right now. And until Christ returns, we're going to see the hand of the devil in our nation and in every nation. And wherever he is, you'll see division. He seeks to sow division. And if we allow the world to look at us through natural eyes and define us, we are taking our eyes off the mark of the prize of the high calling of Christ. We are taking our eyes off the blessed hope of Christ's return. And we are relegating the spiritual body of Christ to carnal, natural entities. This will not bode well for the church. We are called first and foremost to have our allegiance to Christ, our Lord and our Savior, but above and beyond every other thing. So one of the things that we see going on in our nation right now is you see one group battling another group, whether it be Republican or Democrat or, uh, you know, a racial division or, uh, you know, whatever it may be. All these divisions look at problems through natural eyes, and, and we are called to look at them through spiritual eyes. I love the passage in the Old Testament when one of the prophets of God was, was, was with his servant and they were surrounded by the enemy and the, the servant woke up in the morning and he said, we are surrounded, what are we going to do? And the, prophet, the old prophet says, Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. What? It's to see more better naturally so that he could 
think better naturally. Maybe he needs to go to a reconditioning camp so that he can think better naturally. No, no. He needs to see by the Spirit of God. And when that servant saw by the Spirit of God, he saw that the host of the enemy was surrounded by the army of the angel of the Lord. He was surrounded by the Lord of hosts. Even in the natural, it looked bad. It looked like it was hopeless. It looked like they were surrounded. But greater was he that was around them than the enemy that was around them. And in the same way, we can say, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And only the spiritual child of God can know that. A lot of people may be able to say it. Some people may be able to quote it. But the child of God who refuses to be defined by the natural and carnal things that the natural and carnal eye sees, they will know by a spirit of revelation that it is the Spirit of God that is greater on the inside than the dark world that's at work on the outside. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what it looks like. We stand victorious. Even in martyrdom, even if we lose our lives, if we lose our heads, if we lose our nation, or you lose your political party, or you get sent to a concentration camp, you are not alone. God is with you, and if God be for you, who can be against you? God will sustain you. God will keep you. And one day God will call you home. And on that day, you will not be ashamed because he will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You stood the test. You held the faith. You didn't waver. You didn't, you didn't go by, by the natural and carnal means, but you allowed the Spirit of God to motivate you, transform you from the inside out. This is the calling that we are called to live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. So this peculiarity... I wanted to touch on this. this. This word peculiar, it's in the Bible seven times. This beautiful word. It, 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 over there in Deuteronomy chapter 14, when God called Israel to be his people, he said, I'm going to make you a peculiar people unto me. This is how we see a definition of what peculiar means. What defined Israel? What They didn't say, hey, we're the people that grew up on this side of the hill, or we're the people that have this, and we're the people that have that. No, no. What defined Israel? They said, we are Jehovah's people. What defined them first and foremost was being set apart as God's people. And what should define me and what should define you is that we belong to the same God. We are in the same Christ Jesus. We are both members of the same body of Jesus Christ. And we are one. We are united as one by the blood that redeems us. That same blood that redeems us is the same blood that unites us. When we get to heaven, there will not be a section for Americans or Republicans or Democrats or Canadians, it will be Christians. That's what it'll be. Your, your robe will be dipped in the blood of the Lamb, or you won't be there. And it won't matter what your nationality is. It won't matter what your background is. It won't matter if you're Jew or Greek or Gentile. It won't matter if you're a male or a female. It won't matter if, you know, you're confused. It won't matter. When you get to heaven... You will be identified as having your robe dipped in the blood of the Lamb or you won't be there, period. 
And so we should live that truth out. We should live that truth out. Hallelujah. Now, the, the division has been there as the church began. I want to touch on this just briefly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So just flip backwards with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I just want to show you th this kind of stuff has been going on. And what it will actually do is it will hinder you from growing in God. It will hinder you from being the, the child of God that he wants you to be. Now, you can go listen to all kinds of preachers, and they'll tell you you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. You can go hear all that kind of stuff and, and make yourself feel better, but as long as we allow natural and carnal things to define us, we will not grow in the grace that God has for us. Look at verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So notice here, there is a carnal Christian. He's not doubting their salvation, but he's doubting the work of God in their life. Big difference, okay? Look at verse 2. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not. Do you see that? You were not. You were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. Now let's stop right there. Notice what hinders these people from growing spiritually. If, if, if you want to get really simplistic about it, look at it. What hinders, and you can, you can ask yourself, why am I not growing spiritually? If I'm not where I want to be, or I'm not where I used to be. How many times have I heard people say, well, you know, whenever I first got saved, I was on fire for God. I was like you. I did this, and I did that, and I would witness. I would, you know, I would shout unto the Lord, and I would pray at those altars. But, you know, the, the, the fire just kind of goes out over time. Well, yeah, if you don't fan the flame, it will. But the fire of God never goes out. The Spirit of God is still as powerful and as awesome as it ever has been. If you let the fire go out, it's because you've moved into a carnal place. That's when our growth begins to wane and we begin to wax cold and we begin to get indifferent about God, about the things of God, about the house of God, about the people of God. We will begin to get indifferent and, dare I say, lukewarm. Now, you guys that know Revelation, uh, no, lukewarm, you don't want to be. Now, here we go. He said, you are yet carnal, and here we go. Listen, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and, what's that word? Divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? For a while one says, I'm of Paul. And another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Now, notice this. There was division in the first century church. Don't think there's not division today. The power of the prince of darkness is trying to sow division in the body of Christ and in the world. The, the, the plan of the devil is easy to see. He seeks to conquer by dividing and rendering people weak and impotent. And as Christians, 
if we don't stand on the truth of being a peculiar, set-apart, unique people defined first and primarily as being in Christ. If we allow the enemy to divide us by the things of the natural man, we are carnal. That's what Paul's saying. You are carnal. And if you are a carnal Christian, standing on the authority of the word, it says you, you were not able to bear it. That means you are not able to bear spiritual things if you are carnal. That means, and, and, and I know you, you, whenever you hear the word carnal, you think connotation, this is a sinful person. Just in a simplistic meaning, it's that they allow the natural man to divide them from one another. That's it. And what do you see in the church world today? You see people say, are you on this side or are you on that side? Are you pro-Trump or pro-Hillary? Are you pro-Republican or are you pro-Democrat? Are you pro-this movement or pro-that movement? Uh, hey, why didn't you get outraged? Everybody else was outraged today. Where's your post about being outraged? You're supposed to be outraged like us. Hold on. Hold on, Jack. What defines me is my relationship with Jesus Christ. We should be primarily it provoked into action by that, not by what the outrage of the day is. And, and the closer we get to the return of the Lord, there's going to be more outrages. You're, going to, you're not going to be able to shake them. You're not going to be able to hang with them. You're not going to be able to, to, to stay up with everything. So don't allow those, those uh, divisions to come into the body of Christ. Now, I got to say this, but now we're going to close. I'm going to take you to, back over to, to Titus. You can, let's go over there to Titus. I had another place that I wanted to take you, but just for the sake of time, we'll, maybe we'll keep that one in the pocket for another time. But I will say this. There are reasons to divide biblically from other people, but that's because they are heretics according to the doctrine that the disciples gave us. So the only authority or the only way or reason we are called to separate from somebody is when they begin to teach out of the gutter heretical things, uh, what, what, whatever it may be. There's, you know what, our church, we, we talk about heresies a lot. Um, but there's a lot of them. It could be, you know, like a Jehovah's Witness one or a Mormon one or whatever it may be. But those are the things that you separate from when it crosses doctrine, when it, when it infringes on the deity of Jesus or, you know, those kinds of things, the redemption of, of Calvary. Those are the things that we divide over. We don't divide over color of skin, nationality, uh, any of those kinds of things. So let's finish this out. We're, we're back in Titus chapter 2. Look at what it says. Let's finish verse 14 one more time. It says that he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Let's just say, are we peculiar? Does the world look at us as a church and see an eclectic, peculiar people? a people who refuse to be defined by the carnal ways, but only allow themselves to be defined by the spiritual way, which is in Christ. And look, 
zealous of good works. That means you don't have to have pastor so-and-so over here clapping, clapping for you and saying, come on, you, you can do it. You, you, you need to get out there and get involved. You don't need that because the fire of God will be billowing in your soul and you'll want to do it. That's what zeal is. Zeal creates that desire to make it happen, a desire or a zeal for good works. Now look at verse 15 as we close. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So when Paul's closing this book out to Titus, Titus is setting up churches and, and he's helping them understand how church is supposed to be ordered. He says, hey, speak it. That, that means make it clear, make it plain. That's one of the reasons I love D.O. Moody. His, his goal was to make the truth of God plain. Speak it and then exhort it. Encourage the body of Christ. And then also rebuke. So in the same breath, a man of God is called to speak these truths, encourage or exhort the body on these truths, and also rebuke on these truths. And to do it with all authority. That means as you hold to these truths, you don't have to uh, pull the reins back, but just allow the Spirit of God to work completely and fully and let no man despise thee. And, and what I want to encourage you with is, as, as we come to a close, don't allow anybody to define you. Who defines you? If you're a child of God, is that you're a blood-bought, redeemed from destruction. You are a, a, a once in darkness, now in light. You are a, a, a once uh, broken, but now healed. You are a once blind, but now you can see born again child of God who has received the spirit of God that cries out in you Abba Father waiting for the adoption of the body looking for the blessed hope of Jesus Christ a, a member of the body of Christ that's who we are we should not shall not and, and, and should refuse to allow the world to define us any other way any other way and with that we're going to close with a word of prayer father we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word and we pray lord for the power of the spirit to use it to bless the body and lord we ask it in jesus name amen hey guys my name is pastor kenny word we're here at gospel lighthouse church 4350 panther drive if you want to come out and join us we are going to have a great time uh, come on out. This Sunday, 1045 in the morning, we want to welcome you to Gospel Lighthouse Church. And if you need prayer or um, anything, you can always comment on the video here or you can message me. You can find me on Facebook. You can message me there. You can call my cell phone, whatever you want to do. You can call the church. But reach out to us if you need us. We're here for you. We want to be there for you to help you in your walk with the Lord. We are looking for the soon and coming return of our triumphant Jesus Christ. And we hope that you join us in this party. Praise God and thank you for joining.